Welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I'm here with Dr. Christine Jones. Christine, as always, it's great to have you here. It's so great to be here, Scott, and I'm just really excited about this series. Yeah, I think it's going to, so far, I think it's been a fun series, but I think it's going to continue to be a fun series. And um, uh, David Noggle, uh, who wrote on the Worldview Driven Church uh, a number of years ago, was very influential for me, and he's been very influential for a number of the other folks that I have on here regularly, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and um, I I think that I'm always interested to see how far reaching his influence is. And uh, yeah, I'm constantly hearing from people, uh, you know, when I talk about David Noggle, who come up to me and say, hey, I read such and such thing that he wrote, or I heard Mm -hmm. him speak at this event. And so uh, it's nice to be able to do this series in honor of him, but also uh, because it's important for the church today. Absolutely. I mean, I think that his work and his teaching were so important in my life that it's hard for me to imagine being a believer today if I hadn't learn from him because of the kind of foundation that he gave for my faith that I don't think I, I don't think I would have received any, anywhere else. And so I'm so thankful for his life and his teaching and that we get to talk about it today. Yeah. So today we're talking about specifically his teaching for the Worldview Driven Church on uh, what he calls recovering the kingdom of God and uh, its redemptive significance. So I want to just quote quickly Uh, some things that he says here. And so uh, I'm reading from his second part of his series on the Worldview Driven Church. And what he says is, the central biblical notion of the kingdom of God refers to God's rule, authority, and power expressed in Christ to accomplish the redemption of the world by the power of the Holy Spirit, both now and in the future. Clearly, this is a very Trinitarian way of looking at it. It's the Mm -hmm. kingdom of God expressed in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, And then he goes on to say, uh, God's original kingdom, which he established over the whole earth at creation, was attacked and taken over by the satanic regime, bringing rebellion, death, and destruction into the world. But immediately, as expressions of both judgment and grace, God launched a counteroffensive manifested in mighty deeds throughout redemptive history in order to defeat his enemies and restore all things back to himself. This cosmic battle between these two rival kingdoms culminates in the first advent of Jesus Christ. And in and through his person, words, and work, God exercised his redemptive rule and sovereign power against all the evil in the world. And so uh, I want to just kind of begin today, Christine, by asking you, how do you sort of define or understand the kingdom of God? Oh, well, that, <laughs> I mean, I really can't follow that definition very well. I mean, that, that's it. That's the, that's the definition. Um, but I, I do, when I'm thinking about it quickly, just in shorthand, I think about the rule and reign of Christ over everything in creation, over individuals, inwardly and outwardly, but also over every single part of life. It's the rule and reign of Christ that is um, working to restore and renew all things. Yeah, I think I tend, tend to look at it in a very practical manner. And so I think, of, okay, if the kingdom of God is everything that comes as being under the, uh, you know, the authority and under his power, under his rule, uh, that includes, you know, all the goodness that comes from being 
under that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like as the church, we have a responsibility to, uh, as we, as we do our work in the world, essentially bring people into and help them share in all the goodness that comes from being under God's rule and authority and reign. And so when I think about the kingdom of God, I think primarily of us as Christians sharing that kingdom with the world around mm -hmm. us, letting them see what it means to be under the regime of God and not under the regime of death and sin and, you know, all of that. Yeah. I also think there's a, there's a song um, that goes, the kingdom of God is, and it lists basically all the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, but, and which is an interesting way to think about it as well, but because it's a song that'll sometimes run through my mind and I'll think, okay, anytime I'm exercising these fruits of the spirit, I'm also behaving in a manner which befits God's kingdom. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what I want to talk about next is sort of, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to define the kingdom of God broadly, like we just did, mm -hmm. and like what David Noggle did in his paper. Uh, but um, something that Noggle brings up is that, unfortunately, a lot of times our view of the kingdom of God is somewhat splintered or compartmentalized. And so what you find is people uh, sort of, uh, you know, if you will, just looking at a certain aspect or a single aspect of what God's kingdom is, or even saying, hey, I'm doing kingdom work here, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing for the kingdom. But yep. what it is, is that they're, whatever they're doing is very um, compartmentalized and doesn't really encompass all that, uh, all that God's kingdom really entails. And so uh, when you think about... Um, I guess, sort of deficient views or misunderstandings about God's kingdom. What are some of the things that come to your mind with regard to, to misunderstandings? So I think most of the people who have heard use the phrase kingdom work, you're doing kingdom work, are talking about uh, mission work or explicit evangelism. So mm -hmm. most of the people I've heard discuss this are really only talking about um, kind of leading individuals to accept Jesus as their savior um, through various means. And men then maybe to a lesser extent, also things like uh, teaching people about the Bible or leading them in worship or sometimes also caring for people's physical needs, but usually only in a situation in which the gospel is also being preached. So uh, al almost without exception, the, the people I know who like to say, oh, we're doing kingdom work have defined it that way. And I think that that is a pretty, it's probably the biggest misconception because it leaves out a huge amount of human activity. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think evangelism is probably the biggest push, uh, or when people say things like, you know, I'm, I'm doing something for spiritual life and that's kingdom work, but right. what we do for physical life or for, um, uh, you know, just if you will, life in general is, is not kingdom work. And so yeah. what happens is, uh, people who are called by God to be teachers. And I don't mean like Bible teachers. I mean like K-12 teachers, right? Right. Um, they're doing kingdom work. They uh, absolutely you know, are. People who are called yeah. to work in government, whether it be city government or school boards or city councils or, you know, even more like federal government type stuff, uh, whether it be for the IRS or whether it be for 
uh, you know, the Senate or the House or something like that. It doesn't really matter. Government work is kingdom work. Yep. And if someone's called to be a dentist, that's kingdom work. And so we, we tend to be very limiting on, I think, this, uh, this sort of spiritual side. Well, pastors yeah. do kingdom work, but the rest of us just do work. Right. And that if, if you as a congregant want to feel that you're part of that kingdom work, then you should give your money to the causes that yeah. <laughs> that promote this this kind of work is yeah. is often the message. Your money or your time. Right. Yeah. You're only doing kingdom work when you're volunteering for this function we're doing at a church. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it, again, it's usually evangelistic in nature, which, again, that's a good thing to do. But, um, you know, kingdom work is more than just helping run a booth at the fall festival. Uh, where mm-hmm. you're trying to share the gospel with people in the immediate vicinity of the uh, congregation. Right. And I would say that the other misconception that's a pretty big one is, I mean, almost at the other end of this, is that when people do tend to talk about the kingdom of God in terms of a, a kind of a more secular pursuit, often it's with a very particular political agenda in mind. So, mm-hmm. um when I was a worship leader, one of the songs I liked to play and lead our congregation in is a song by Rend Collective called Build Your Kingdom Here. And mm-hmm. I liked it because I wanted us to, you know, promote this vision of of building God's kingdom through all of our work and whatever. But it has this one line that I always struggled to sing. And the line is, win this nation back. And the reason it was a struggle for me to sing is that I knew that members of my congregation would only hear a particular political agenda in that line. And that when they heard a phrase like win this nation back, they thought, okay, the goal of building God's kingdom in America means that we need to recover some sort of vision of a fully Christian America and we need to push for Christian ideas through politics and we need to um, push a political agenda that's about, you know, securing our religious liberties in a very um, Christian way. And so I knew that many members of the congregation would not be able to separate that concept from uh, from a phrase like that. And so it was mm-hmm. frustrating because we would be trying to use the song to promote a broader vision of the kingdom. But I knew that many people would only hear one kind of version of political activism. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's a good a good concern. Uh, and I've often seen, uh, you know, especially in the last five or six years, uh, people really promote Christian nationalism uh, and sort of confuse that with God's kingdom. Like right. America is God's kingdom. Like, whoa, whoa. Right. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's not exactly how it works, right? God's covenant isn't with our president or even with our government uh, or our states. It's it's with the church. And um, his covenant, you know, was given to Abraham originally, extends to all others now through Christ. And as such, you know, America is not a Christian nation. There's a lot of Christians in the nation, and there's a lot of Christian principles that are foundational to some of the beliefs and um, some of the governmental practices of our nation. Uh, But that doesn't put our nation in a covenant relationship with God. Christians are in that covenant relationship. And so, yeah, I I can see how that would be a concern. And I think that it, it sort of moves us to the sort of that misunderstanding of the kingdom, right? Um, God's kingdom is not a political kingdom, even though God does ordain political powers. Right. You know, 
God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom in the sense that um, God is our ultimate king. And while we have to submit to authorities and rulers of our land now, uh, we only do so in so much as those rules and regulations don't um, contradict, if you will, God's calling on who we're supposed to be as people. And uh, that doesn't mean we should go out always looking for ways to disobey our government. <laughs> what it means is, um, you know, we live in obedience to our government because the higher authority that we submit to says to do so. Yeah. Um, yep. I think that it's also worth talking about briefly here that um, sometimes people look at the, uh, I guess the idea of the kingdom of God is this future thing. And so as such, you know, well, God's kingdom comes when he returns, when Christ returns and we get to live in heaven. And it's like, and, and so when people push that, it's sort of like, there is no kingdom now. And, mm-hmm. you know, right now, everything's just evil and passing away. Who cares about the earth? It's going to be destroyed. And, you know, that's antithetical to so many things that are said in scripture Yes. Uh, about living in the now, but also about being stewards of God's world that he created as a good place um, meant to be under his authority and rule. Yes. So, yes, I, I've heard many people express that idea. Then when they would hear a scripture like seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then that meant that they were um, kind of going to disregard anything of the world and have only this future focus, only a heavenly focus. And that's yeah. not particularly helpful either. It's interesting. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a number of podcasts slash YouTube videos with uh, religious leaders of other faiths. And in a lot of these videos, we talk about um, some different doctrinal issues. And one of the ones that I typically brought up with different, uh, different leaders of these other faith groups was, what does your religion teach about the eternal state? What happens after death? And there were several different people who said to me, well, we don't think this is the end, but our real focus needs to be here and now. And we don't really put a lot of stock into thinking about what happens next because we're, we need to live our life now and not just focus on what happens after this, you know? Uh, and, and that was really jarring to me because I mean, I, and I agree. Uh, and uh, I think that I've been under the impression for many years now that, you know, you don't get saved so that you can avoid hell and get to heaven. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that's great. It's a benefit of being saved. Right. But you, you get saved um, because you want to have a relationship with God here and now. And the Christian life that we live is for here and now. And our becoming, you know, our, walk, our process of sanctification, our walk with the Lord, our, our becoming more like Christ is all for here and now, right? And so there's a lot to spirituality in the now. But um, when I hear a lot of these other groups say things like, we don't really focus on that so much it sort of jarred me and reminded me of how so many Christians are so focused on eternity that they're sort of just like, oh, I'm just passing through this world. And, mm. you know, who cares what happens to it? Who cares here? Nothing here matters. It, right. All that really matters is the eternal kingdom. And, um, you know, scripture teaches that in the eternal state, God is going to be fashioning the new heavens and the new earth together. 
uh, is this idea right. that he's redeeming everything that is here now. And again, mm-hmm. you know, our, our original, um, our original commission from God in the garden was to care for God's world and to be his stewards, his representatives uh, of this planet that he has created and put us on mm-hmm. to, to lead for him. And so um, I think that has significant implications for how humans interact with one another, how humans interact with God. But I think it also has implications for how humans interact with the land, how humans interact with animals, how humans interact with the environment and the ecosystems and all this other stuff. I mean, we need to be good stewards in how we develop energy. We need to be good stewards in how we care for uh, plant and animal life and how we yes. uh, you know, do all these things uh, for the glory of God's kingdom, uh, but as his stewards of this world and uh, without just thinking God's kingdom is heaven uh, or you know, God's on his kingdom throne in heaven um, forgetting that he also is presently ruling over this world, even though right. this world is broken. It's mm-hmm. good. Well, David Noggle um, sort of concluded this section of his paper by talking about some implications of mm-hmm. uh, recovering the kingdom of God uh, for corporate and individual aspects. So what he says is uh, specifically corporately, a kingdom church ought to be a model of a truly human society, which mm-hmm. manifests what the will of God means for the whole areas of society. And then he gives examples, education, arts, politics, work, or vocation, etc. And then he says, and what, so, and corporately, right, the kingdom church ought to be a model for what life should be like when it is submitted to God's, uh, to the reign, uh, excuse me, to the the God, uh, to God's reign, uh, meaning righteously, orderly, reasonably, disciplined, holy, wise, etc. And then he says, and individually, every aspect of a believer's life ought to be submitted to the kingship of Christ, demonstrating what his righteous rule means in such personal areas as work, education, play, entertainment, family life, friendship, the arts, and so on. Uh, he says, uh, when he kind of concludes, the, uh, essentially that the real historical life is to be redeemed now as it is lived out by the people of God. In other words, um, we don't just look at our life as something being redeemed in the future. We don't just look at our spiritual life being redeemed, our soul being redeemed, who cares about the body. Hmm. We look at all of us as a person and all of life as what we do as a congregation being part of God's redemptive work. So the church is redemptive in nature. Mm. We should be living in a way that's redemptive in nature. And there should be a process of sanctification being more made more like Christ going on in our life and in the life of our churches. Uh, So when you look at the church, you should look at people who are becoming more like Christ. You should see people becoming more like Christ. Uh, Not perfect, but in the process. I, I think um, it's relatively easy for us to grasp that the personal bit, the part about sanctification, because we talk about this a lot in our churches. So, you know, it might not be easy to do, but it's easy for us to understand that we we know that though we won't maybe reach kind of perfection until Christ returns, that in the meantime, we're called to this 
life of, of sanctification, that Christ is renewing us day by day and we're becoming more and more like him. And so I, I think that that part is a little bit easier for people to grasp, but it's the other part that Dr. Noggle talked about with, uh, with the, our culture, our, our, our jobs, uh, these aspects of our world that don't seem like they have very much to do with Christianity. I think that that part is a lot harder for people yeah, I think so as well. And, uh, you know, I think that it speaks to the nature of church's ministry as well, right? Mm-hmm. We oftentimes, as you know, in our congregations do things that we think are good for evangelism, but not necessarily just good for the people around our churches. Yeah. And so I think our churches need to know what's going on in our community. How can we be involved? How can we make this community a better place? And uh, I've, I heard of a church somewhere a few years ago that there was beginning to be a problem with um, some, uh, well, a lot of teen violence after school. And so this church that was in, in uh, sort of close to the downtown area said, hey, you know what? We're going to open our doors after school at four o'clock every day for two hours for kids to come to play games, to get a snack, to hang out, to work and study, get tutoring all this stuff. And, um, you know, it wasn't, you can come in, but you have to listen to a message while you're here. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, come in two hours, you know, four to six, uh, your parents can come pick you up here. You can walk here after school, whatever your parents can drop you off here. And then on Wednesday nights, we do a Bible study. You're welcome to stay later for that. And, uh, their, their point of them doing this though, wasn't just to, I mean, I, I think obviously they're trying to help kids not be getting into violence and joining gangs and stuff like that. But um, they're just trying to bring a good to the community uh, that's right. a necessary thing. And they said, you know what, here's a need that we can meet. Uh, and the more a congregation knows about the, uh, the surrounding community, uh, the more they can, they can say, here's a good way to reach out and, and to help you know, yeah. the people directly around us. And uh, sometimes it involves after school programs. Sometimes it involves uh, English as a second language. I know of a church that right now is allowing people to come to their, you know, in their doors, I think every Thursday to work on filling out papers to begin the process of becoming legal citizens. Mm. Uh, A lot of people in that community are not legal citizens and they recognize, hey, this is a problem. They also recognize that the legal system of becoming a citizen is a huge mess. It's really and so difficult. Yeah. They said, you know what? We're going to let people come to our church and we're going to help them with the process because we want to mm-hmm. say, as a church, you should do things the right way. We also want to say, you know, we're going to help you do it and right. not just condemn you for not having done it the right way already. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think um, another kind of practical thing churches could do um, involves the way we speak about. Uh, ordinary jobs from the pulpit Mm -hmm. and the way that we equip believers to go do their ordinary jobs. Um, One of the, one of the things we did at the church I used to serve at is we, we did like a commissioning service for people um, in their ordinary jobs. And so we kind of split up the, the congregation to identify with whichever job they did and we had a time where we would pray specifically for that group and kind of send them out with the understanding that what you do in your ordinary work is kingdom work and this is something that uh really 
have I've become quite passionate about it in my songwriting class that I teach once a year um, for Christian songwriters. One of my favorite traditions is I do a kind of a commissioning service of my own toward the end of the semester. We just had ours in the in the songwriting class that I teach right before finals. So um, where we sing uh, songs and read scriptures that kind of lay out the foundation of a Christian worldview for the artist in society, for songwriters. And, um, and I pray over them and kind of send them out saying, look, the work you do matters. And I, if it's okay, I'd love to share this um, sort of a litany that I wrote for this because in the process of writing this, it helped me to think about what kingdom work means in this specific context of songwriting. So I wrote this litany where the, the repetition part that the the class has to say is the phrase, let us be the remedy. And it comes from a David Crowder song called Remedy that speaks mm -hmm. about Christ being the remedy. And then in the very last part of the song, it, it, it provides us application, let us be the remedy. And it, it's almost an afterthought. It's the very end of the song, but it's, you know, we, we draw our um, ability to be the remedy in the world around us from Christ, who is the remedy. And I just wanted to read some parts of this because yeah. I think they're good examples of how a songwriter, for example, can be working towards Christ's kingdom. So, um, so they say, let us be the remedy among the broken, among those beaten down by the pain of life. Let us be the remedy for those longing to see beauty in a corrupted world. And then I go through things like our jobs, our homes, our dorms, in practice rooms and rehearsal spaces. Um, but one of, we, we start to get into some like specific examples here. Let us be the remedy among obsolete business models, the elevation of image and the proliferation of mediocrity. Let us be the remedy amid the temptation for laziness and quick fi fixes. Let us be the remedy amid the misuse of Photoshop and auto-tune. Let us be the remedy in our online lives where the world is quick to judge, polarize, and bully. Um, let us be the remedy when the blank pages intimidate us, when new creation seems impossible. And of course, as you, Lord Christ, in whom we live and move and have our being, work out the remedy through us, let us be the remedy. But I wanted to share those examples because I think sometimes we don't think about the ways in which we can be um, workers of, of repair and mm -hmm. um, uh, wholeness and reconciliation in all of these really practical areas. Like I'm thinking about, okay, what's the temptation in the recording studio? It's to just do a halfway job and then iron it out with auto-tune or, I mean, that's just maybe a silly example, but I think it's important for us to have these small concrete examples of the ways in which we are actually uh, contributing to the spread of God's kingdom through the practical aspects of our work. Yeah. I think there's something to that too in that you read that speaks to sort of this idea of realness, um, you know, being real in how we, how we engage with our community and in our field, right? And so um, a number of years ago, Bono made a negative comment about contemporary Christian music, uh, about uh, yes. how it uh, doesn't deal with, you know, bad marriages. <laughs> and, right. I remember um, that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot to that because, 
you know, we oftentimes in sharing God's kingdom, you know, we want to come across as, you know, Christians have it all together, right? And there, there's sort of a lack of genuineness or a lack of realness in presenting yourself that way or presenting your church that way. And if we're going to really speak into or have influence in different areas of life, we have to know what the real issues are in those areas. And so, you know, the church needs to talk about uh, what's going on with CPS in the community. You know, the church needs to mm -hmm. talk about um, what's going on with poverty in the community or racism in the community. And they need to think through it from a very biblical perspective uh, and educate the people or parishioners, you know, of the churches uh, or congregants with um, how to properly then understand their place and their role uh, mm -hmm. in bringing healing and, and being a remedy in those situations, yeah. um, you know, in their vocation, in their hobbies, in their community involvement and other things of that nature. You know, if you've got kids that are in a sports league, like, you know, six-year-olds playing soccer, what are the real issues and needs happening, you know, on the soccer field, but yes. also in the stands with the parents, you know, what can you do to bring God's kingdom? One of my favorite examples of this uh, idea of having a kingdom mindset while you are working for really practical and important physical changes on the earth is Martin Luther King Jr. I, I love how in his famous I Have a Dream speech where he's kind of listing out all the elements of his dream that are that is a dream for equality and it has these we have these images that we we love to hold on to right of um, little girls and little boys of different races holding hands and and being together he has all of that what the mm -hmm. dream culminates in is this vision from Isaiah where he says, I have a dream that um, every valley will be exalted and every mountain and hill laid low and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And he says mm -hmm. that with that faith, we will be able to basically accomplish these goals. And so what's fascinating to me about that is that is a vision of the coming kingdom. I mean, that's a vision of, of the Messiah, right? that's a vision of the coming justice of the Lord. Um, and it's a recognition that it's with that vision in mind that one day Christ is going to return. He's going to make all things right. He's going to finally um, create the circumstances in which we will be able to, you know, hold hands with every person and say free at last. I mean, in the vision of the end of that of that speech right but it's not that we sit here and go okay well i guess i'll just wait for jesus to do that then it's that we are called to do this work to um, take part in what christ has already accomplished but what will be accomplished fully when he returns and um and and that's a you know very powerful and important and practical movement of course that king led in the civil rights movement and it's based on this glorious vision of Christ's kingdom. So I just, I just love that as an example. Yeah, I think that's very good. So uh, I think, you know, it's important for us to keep God's kingdom as foundational for our work in ministry. It's also found, it, it's also good to keep God's kingdom in mind as something that's foundational for our spiritual life and for the spiritual life of our congregations. 
And um, it's important to keep God's kingdom as foundational for what we do in the world, how we live in the world, and how we work to meet needs here and now to not only draw people closer to Christ, but also to share all the goodness that comes from being under his authority, reign, and power with the world around us uh, in whatever capacity that may be, however our sphere of influence goes. Um, you know, we do what we can for God's kingdom, for the yeah. world. And when we can't do, uh, we trust that God is using others in higher positions to be able to work in those areas. Oh, and speaking of that, though, I'd like to say one more thing. All this talk about the kingdom makes me think about one of Jesus's parables of the kingdom, which is the parable of the mustard seed. Mm -hmm. And I suppose there are a lot of different ways to read this. But, you know, what happens in that parable is the kingdom is like a, a mustard seed. It's a small seed, but it grows to be this great tree. And I think that's so helpful when we think about our own actions concerning the 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 kingdom of God that sometimes it might feel really small to say oh I'm gonna I'm gonna be an agent of reconciliation at my child's soccer game (laughs) that might feel like such a small thing that doesn't really matter but consider the consider the mustard seed consider that small seed that can be planted and that actually will grow to become this great tree and this is all of us as we work out to the implications of the kingdom in all of our lives and all of our callings just think about the forest that will grow from each of these tiny seeds planted in faith mm-hmm. no, i think that's a really good word and it doesn't matter how insignificant we think what we're doing is mm-hmm. it's more significant than we're aware of and Oftentimes in life, we don't even see the full ramifications of the small things that we do that we think are insignificant. Uh, Absolutely. But, but those, those ramifications are there, and, uh, and they're large. And, and doing things for God's kingdom is certainly better than you know, doing things for our own selfish ambitions <laughs> or things of that mm-hmm. nature. So, yeah, very good. Well, for those of you guys who listened today, thank you for listening to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. Christine, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Yes. Uh, See you guys again next time on Faith and Culture Now.